Okay, we are in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. This is where we left off last time. And we're reading from verse 24. So what, we, we, what we've covered is, is all the way from, verse five, from chapter 5, all of chapter 6, and now all of chapter 7. Jesus has given instruction on how to be blessed. Some, some uh, translations, instead of saying, blessed is he who is, says, happy is he. And that's actually quite accurate. This whole idea of happiness, Jesus is going through with us what He has observed, what He has set forth in ways to deal in a life that we would be blessed, that we would be happy. Not that everything would be easy, but that life would be blessed. And in chapter 7, verse 24, it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to the wise man who has built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. So the things that he has taught us in the scriptures in chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, he culminates with this. He says that if you hear these words of mine and act on them, I'm going to compare you to a wise man whose house is built on rock and it's going to stand. And if you don't listen and act on them, so both the listening and the acting on, the house is going to fall. It will not stand. If you look at what hits the house of the wise man, it says the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and slammed against the house. What hit the house of the foolish man? Verse 27. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and slammed against that house. So that whether... We walk wisely or foolishly, whether we take these words and act upon them or don't take these words and don't act upon them, the same winds come. The same things hit our home, hit our house, hit our lives. A believer is not set apart from suffering. The same thing that hits the life of the unbeliever hits the life of the believer. The same thing that hits the one who follows Christ hits the one who doesn't follow Christ. The same thing. The same issues. But one life stands and the other life falls as a result of this. One life stands and another life falls. The issues that come up are so real. You know, I was saying in, just, just before in the service, you know, these, this this whole teaching on scriptural sexual ethics that I've put on the internet now. I'm getting phone calls from people, emails from people, from all over the place who are hearing this and are listening. And generally, from their age, I can tell what they're going to say. If someone is in their 40s or 50s, 
I know that it's going to be, I wish I had heard these things before. The pain that people are undergoing because of not listening to these words. For example, Jesus had said to us back in chapter 5, verse 28, He says, But I say to you, everyone who looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. It is better to lose one part. And how I've been instructing, because we see it from the Word of God, of how we have to deal vigilantly with pornography. To purge it from our lives. Or else it will follow us into marriage. And so this call from this woman just just yesterday. How her husband is into pornography. And it's on his computer. And it's destroying their marriage. And how their son is being influenced by this. And how it's destroying her husband's life and she could see her husband closing up to the things of God. I'm telling you, the very things that we discussed are coming at me. I'm seeing them in the lives of people. If you will take and listen to these things, your life will go well. But if you take and you don't listen and heed these things, your life will have great pain. There will be pain in your marriage, pain in your job, All before you will be this. Jesus compares it to a wise man, to a foolish man. How much more explicit would you like Jesus to be? What would we like Him to say? How would we like Him to warn us? He says, I liken it to a wise man. I liken it to a foolish man. He who takes these words of mine, it's going to be as if the house is built upon the rock. So you have, just near the beach, these rocks, and the house is built on it. So the same winds come, the same floods come, but it stands. Your kids will get broken arms like everybody else's kids. Your kids will go through things like everybody else's kids. But they will stand if you will take these principles and teach them in your home. But if you don't take these principles and make them a part of your life, they won't stand. And the problem... The problem is this, that people who go to church think that by church, by going to church, therefore they are taking these principles and acting on them. This is the the feeling. Hey man, I go to church, what's the problem? You know, I get up most Sunday mornings, not all, but I get up most Sunday mornings and I go to church. Why is all this dirt happening in my life? Because it says you have to act on these words. So church attendance doesn't do it. In fact, church attendance may be worse than not going to church at all if we think that that in and of itself is going to make us right with God. It is not just church membership and church attendance. He doesn't say, if you're a member of a synagogue, this is going to go well for you. If you're a, or if you're a Reformed Jew rather than a than an Orthodox Jew, or an Orthodox rather than a Reformed, or a Baptist versus a Methodist, then it's going to go well for you. He doesn't say that at all. He says if you take these words and act on them, your house will stand. 
In other words, the things that hit this world will affect you. If the nation goes through a, a, an economic breakdown, you are going to live it out just like everybody else. But your house will stand. And what He promises in the Word of God is the children of the righteous will never beg bread. So no matter what the economy comes to, your children will never have to beg bread if you walk with God. If you've learned how to give, how to be gracious, how to follow the things that He has said, how much more explicit would we like Jesus to be? How much more of a greater warning would we like? Turn over to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. This is going to be pretty clear, what Jesus presents to us. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20. Wisdom shouts in the streets. She lifts her voices, her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the gate in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O oh naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing. And fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Look at what he says. He says, wisdom cries out in the streets. In the noisy squares, it's just crying out. You and I hear the word of God continuously. We can never blame God. Hey, I never knew. I never heard. The word of God says he cries out in the streets. And then he says, turn to me, and I will make my words known to you. But now look in verse 24. Because I called you and you refused, I stretched out my hands and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but, I will not find, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel, and they spurned all my reproof. That's what it says of wisdom. God puts wisdom before us in the Word. And will we take it and walk in it? And there are steps we have to take. Men, you are going to be the leader in your home someday. You had better get your acts together and get your tail in gear. That means you wake up in the morning and you set the example for your family to rise up in the morning and to seek God. And none of this, oh, well, you know, most mornings I roll out of bed and I get going... No, you don't roll out of bed. You get up and you spend time before God and you set a pattern. You set an example for your wife and for your children. You say, well, you know, my my children are real young. They see everything. Everything. You set a pattern for your children. And I have had many parents come to me and they say, will you encourage my kid to, to, you know, wake up and have his quiet time? My feeling is, do you have your quiet time? Do you do it? They're just doing what you do. And it is so hard for me to come into this family and somehow they want me to, you know, sprinkle some fairy dust here and make it all better. 
Because parents are going through some real pain with their kids. Real struggles. But the kids are following the example. And it will happen to you. It will happen to you if you think, oh, well, you know, I'm I'm learning it now. (laughs) I'll be all right. You won't. I guarantee you, you won't. And wisdom will mock you, mock you, and laugh at you and say, do you remember? You heard. You heard these words. It was cried out to you. What are we going to do with it? We learn in the Scriptures about generosity, about giving, about how God blesses the one who is generous. And God blesses the one who is generous, even blesses their children. Will we walk in that? Will we walk in it? You say, well, how generous should I be? Well, we've seen this before. In the Old Testament, it was 10%. In the New Testament, it gives no defined amount. But a 10% is a good place to start because in the New Testament, the only examples of specific amounts were people gave everything. Everything. And Jesus only praised those who gave out of their sustenance, meaning not what was left over, but out of the very thing that sustained them. This is what He calls us to to give. Will we walk in wisdom in what He is has put before us. Will we take this and walk in it? And he likens it to a wise man and to a foolish man. And he makes it very clear. He says the foolish man's house will not stand. It will not. And we have this feeling, oh, well, it's too early in my life. It's not to the point. This is the point you take over this. The pattern you establish now is the pattern you will maintain. I was in a discipleship house with nine other Christian guys. And I can map out for you the guys whose homes to this day remain good and the ones whose homes are broken. The ones whose homes remain seeking God and the ones whose homes do not. I can map out to you because I saw who woke up in the morning and who set their mind and their heart on seeking Christ that day. It is like clockwork. It is a one-to-one match. What would you like to be like? Jesus puts it before us today. And He calls us to this. Let's turn back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 7. Verse 28. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at His teachings. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Isn't that interesting? Their scribes were the ones with authority. And he was teaching them with a whole new type of authority and not like their scribes had. You know how the Jewish leaders taught and they remain to teach today? Rabbi so-and-so said, in the name of Rabbi so-and-so, said, And they go through and they quote this rabbi and that rabbi's interpretation of God's Word. And this is the way the Word of God is taught today among the Jews. It is not, it is rarely the Word of God says this. It is rabbi so-and-so's interpretation of this is this. Jesus came and He spoke from Himself. He needed to quote nobody. There was no quoting of anybody. If ever Jesus quoted, He took something from the Scriptures. 
But he spoke from himself. In himself resided all truth. And when he spoke, he spoke from himself. And he himself spoke the very words that were uttered became scripture. He was different than them. And they recognized this. This is a different kind of teaching. Can you imagine having such a different kind of teaching? They had been taught one way their whole lives. And now this man came with a totally different way of teaching. Look at the way he's teaching in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He's never quoting, Rabbi so-and-so, Rabbi so-and-so. He may say, it has been told to you this, well, I tell you that. He says, it is, it is written, love your enemies, and then it is told to you, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. He says, I tell you, you love your enemies. He speaks from himself. And then what he does is he begins to demonstrate his messiahship. There were three gifts that the children of Israel were taught that only Messiah would be able to do. One of those was to heal a leprous man. From the time that the Old Testament was complete, from the time that the law was complete, that means just the writings of Moses, there had never been a leper, a Jewish leper, healed. Never had a leper in the Scriptures been healed who was a Jew from the time the law was complete. Now, Miriam was a Jew. Miriam had leprosy because of her rebellion against Moses and her speaking against her brother who God had sent. God struck her with leprosy. Moses cried out to God and God healed her of her leprosy. But the law had not yet been completed. Naaman was a leper who was healed of his leprosy, but he was a Syrian. He was not a Jew. Never had a Jew been healed of leprosy. Yet there were two chapters in the book of Leviticus and many references in other chapters of the law of how you deal with a leper. Very, very specific. When a leper was healed, they could not be deemed healed until they went to see a rabbi. And the rabbi had to examine where the leprosy had been. In fact, leprosy could only be proclaimed by a rabbi, so a rabbi had to declare a person a leper. And then once they had been declared a leper... Once they were healed, the rabbi had to go through this long sequence of looking at the wound and making this offering and looking at the wound again and making this offering and had to look at it over a period of many days and weeks to ensure that indeed the leprosy was gone. So all the rabbis said only the Messiah would be able to heal a leper because never had a leper been healed. So in chapter 8, verse 1, when Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him and a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go show yourself to the priests and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So look what happened. Jesus comes and he heals the leper. And what did Jesus do in chapter 8, verse 3? He stretched out his hand and he touched him. Jesus did not have to touch the leper. But Jesus knew that if he touched a leper, he would be defiled. And remember, Jesus carried out everything in the law perfectly. 
But by the time his finger was on that guy, his leprosy was healed. He did not touch a leper. He was convinced that the leprosy was healed. So he healed the leprosy. But it was not, could not be deemed healed until he went to the priest. So what did he say? Don't bother telling anyone. It's not going to make, be any use. You have to go and be proclaimed clean by the priests, by the rabbis. And so they went, he went, he says, and he said, go and show yourself to the priest. And it was this very act that then, later on we read, came and started the inquiry of Jesus. Because they said that there, was, there were works that only Messiah could do. One of them was to heal a leper. The other one was to heal a, a, uh, uh, a demon-possessed man who was dumb, who was unable to speak. And the third one was to be able to raise a man from the dead who had been dead for at least three days. Right? So, Jesus actually fulfilled every one of those. And, and when he had fulfilled them, it was actually after he had fulfilled these, you know, people would say, is this indeed the Messiah? So you can look at other passages when Jesus does this sort of thing. Right away they said, is this indeed the Messiah? Because they had been taught only Messiah would be able to do this. This is why he sends them back to the priest. This is why he does this. And at this stage in his ministry, Jesus heals the masses based on need. You will see again and again at this phase in Jesus' ministry, He is healing the masses just based on their physical need. Later on, after Matthew chapter 12, He only heals individuals, no longer masses, based on faith. And only when they have faith. It is not just based on physical need. And we will see why that change occurs. Verse 5, And when Jesus... Entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go and he goes, and to another, come and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and he said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go... It will be done for you as you have believed. And the centurion and, and the servant was healed that very moment. If you look, actually, in Luke chapter 7, you see a parallel account. It is the same account. You see, it was not the centurion himself who came. The centurion sent messengers. And in that day, to send a messenger on your behalf was equivalent in going yourself. And he sent messengers. And the messengers he initially sent... It says in Luke chapter 7, were the rabbis, were the synagogue leaders, the leaders of the synagogue Jesus sent. If we, we can look there in, in Luke chapter 7, you'll see the parallel account. And the way Luke records it is he picks out, and he was very specific. And you'll see very often Luke is quite specific about details, he himself being a physician. And in Luke chapter 7, uh, reading 
from verse 1, you see this, this centurion account. It says um, in verse 2, And the centurion slave, who was highly regarded with, by him, was sick and about to die. When he heard about Jesus, then he sent some Jewish elders asking him to, a, asking him to come and to save the life of the slave. And when they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. And then the the same account occurs. Jesus immediately went to heal. It says when he heard this, he immediately started out to go and heal this centurion slave. Look at the life of this centurion. That means this, this is a centurion. He was a Roman soldier. So he was a centurion. He was a commander of a thousand. And he sent the elders, the Jewish elders, and the Jewish elders went on his behalf imploring Jesus, saying, He loves our nation and He built us our synagogue. If you look at the dealings that Jesus had with unbelievers in His ministry, it is generally very different. In Matthew chapter 15, there's a Syrophoenician woman who cries out, and she says she, she's an unbeliever, and she, she's not of the Jewish nation, and she cries out, she says, Please heal my daughter. She has these epileptic fits. And Jesus said, I've not been sent to you. I've been sent only to the children of Israel. And only by her crying out and saying, let me just have the crumbs. I'm a dog. Let me have the crumbs from their table. And Jesus said, you've got great faith. Okay, your daughter's healed. But in general, he had no dealings with Gentiles. And he was very clear in that Matthew chapter 15. He says, I did not come for you folks. His plan for the Gentiles was to come later through a man named Paul. But he had a few dealings with Gentiles. This was one of them. Why would he immediately come, immediately start on his way? Why didn't he say to this centurion, oh, well, you know, I'm not here for the Gentiles. I'm here for the Jews. Why? It says, as soon as he heard that this man loved the nation of Israel and he built us our synagogue, they cried out. He said, I'm on my way. Why? Because Jesus remembered the promise to Abraham. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. God made a promise to Abraham that anyone who blesses you or your offspring blesses the Jewish people, I will bless. And I know there's been all sorts of things thrown at the Jewish people. And I am begging you for your own good in life, for your own peace in life. Don't speak evil of the Jews. You may not agree with their practices, but keep your mouth shut for your own good. Because those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. Every nation that has gone to take on Israel has eventually fallen. And Israel has come back. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. As soon as Jesus heard that this man blessed the Jewish people, he says, I'm on my way. Because my father made a promise that those who bless the offspring of Abraham will be blessed. There was none of this talk about, oh no, I've not been sent to the Gentiles. The other thing, who was the first person, who was the first Gentile to receive the gospel in the book of Acts? What was his name? Cornelius. Cornelius was the first Gentile. And he was a Roman soldier. And what, why would, why do you think God chose Cornelius? 
Because it says Cornelius was a man who gave alms. He gave alms to the Jewish people. God brought the first Gentile in because he was gracious to the Jews. The first Gentile that came into the church, the first word that was preached, the first preaching came through Peter to Cornelius, a man who blessed the Jews. You want to have a difficult life? Go ahead. Go around and be like the rest of the world and curse the Jews all you like. But you want to have a blessed life? Keep your mouth shut. And there's a lot of things that Jews do that I don't agree with. A lot that they do. And they are not walking with God in many ways. But better not to curse them. Because those who curse you, God says, He will curse. Jesus recognized this principle. And to this day, I will give my tithe to my local church. But I also give offerings. And my first offering always goes to ministry to the Jews. So to those that minister to Jews, I send an offering each month. I will give an offering each month. Because I believe there's blessing in acknowledging the promise of God. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. Those who go and share the gospel with the Jews, I will bless them and send them on their way blessed. Jesus recognizes this principle. The other thing that's recognized, we can turn back to Matthew chapter 8. The other thing that we see here is Jesus marvels at the faith of this centurion. It says in verse 10, Truly I say to you, Matthew 8 verse 10, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Jesus was constantly rebuking the disciples for what? Lack of faith. Here he's praising a Gentile for their faith. Because this Gentile says, "You you don't have to come into my home. You don't even have to come here. Just say the word and he's healed. I understand authority. I have a thousand men and I can say, do this and it's done. Do that and it's done. I understand authority. And he says, not only do I understand authority, he says, I am also a man under authority with soldiers under me. He recognizes that he has authority over him. He says, I recognize the authority over me. Therefore, those who are under me, obey me. I am under authority. I am under, ultimately, your authority. Speak the word and he's healed. And Jesus goes, whoa! Look at this guy. Look at his face. I mean, he just shames Israel who has this this entire law and the prophets to look at. And this Gentile, this centurion, says, just speak the word and it's done. He well recognized Israel. And he built for them their synagogue. But look what he did. He recognized authority. I see this all the time. And let me warn you, young men. Let me warn you. If you want your children and your wife to rebel from you, come out from under authority. And they will rebel from you. You'll have a hard life. You come under church authority. You say, well, who's my authority? The church. The church is your authority. And your boss at work is your authority. Go ahead, speak evil of your boss. And you will see those who work for you will speak evil of you. Why do all my employees hate me? Well, because you hate your boss. You speak evil of him. Whatever you sow, you will reap many, many times over. Well, I only said it bad about my boss twice. And they said it bad about me 200 times. Exactly. 
Sowing and reaping. You always reap more than you sow. Scriptures tell us that. It will be pressed down, shaken together, pouring out in your lap. Whatever you sow, you will reap. You speak well of your authority. Don't speak poorly of your pastor. You may not agree with him. Go talk to him about it. But don't speak poorly of him. He's your pastor. Understand church authority. And I'm not trying to get anything from you in this. I'm trying to help you and protect you in this. You want to have a good life? You learn to obey those over you in authority, at work and in the church. If you're not in the church and under authority, I guarantee you, you'll always have this, my wife never listens to me. Well, why should she listen to you? You don't understand authority. Authority receives as it does. And your children will rebel from you. If you stand under authority... You yourself will see people standing under you. You come under that umbrella of authority, people will move under you. He said, I'm a man who understands authority. I have authority over me, and therefore I have men under me, and I understand your position. You just speak the word, he's healed. You don't even have to bother coming here. And Jesus says, wow, your faith is amazing. I am amazed by your faith. I mean, this is the Son of God being amazed by by a human being's faith. Faith is coupled very strongly with authority. Say, well, I have faith. Well, then understand authority. Because when you understand church authority, you understand the authority of God in your life. The authority of God in your life is that, hey, God has control. God is going to take care of this this situation because He really has ultimate control. This is faith. Faith understands the authority of God. And this is what Jesus marvels at. You want to have a good life, you've got to be part of a church. You've got to be. If you can't find a local church in your city, it is your problem. It is not the city's problem. It is not the church's problem. It is your problem. Right? You've got a problem. If you can't find a local church. Because God would not set you in a city without providing a covering for you. And in this city, in Houston, you've got an enormous problem if you can't find a church in a few weeks. I mean, there are a gazillion churches... With every little twist. I mean, you can find Pentecostal who, you know, don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't, know, I don't know if you can find that. But, you know, I mean, any combination you want, you can find here. You've got it. You can find anything. You can find charismatic Catholics here in, in this town. You can find... You can. Charismatic, there are more Catholic charismatics than any other breed of charismatics. I don't know if you knew that. Tons of them. You can find... Jews who are Catholics? Yeah, there's a whole Jewish Catholic community. I'm not kidding you. You can find tons of anything you want, you can find. You've got a problem if you can't relate in a church. If you've got problems with the church, it's really your problem. And remember, you want Jesus to marvel at you or you want Him to reprove you? You understand authority. And then authority is no longer an issue. When you understand authority, it doesn't become an issue. You don't have to walk in. You know, I took this, this course in uh, uh, leadership. And this guy had this beautiful point. He says, if you've got to walk into the meeting and say, hey, look, I'm in charge here. I'm the boss here. He says, you're not the boss. <clears throat> if you've got to say it, you're not the boss. He says, the boss people recognize. People know. People see it. And that's certainly true. You don't have to, you, you know, go threatening them. You can, people can see it. 
This guy's the guy in charge. This person's the person in charge. You understand authority and Jesus equates it with faith. Very different the way he taught. Jesus is amazing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. So true are your words. Father, I pray you teach these young people authority. Authority that comes through the local body of Christ. Authority that comes through the work. Authority that comes in people over them and their coaches. Authority. And Father, that they would recognize this and so recognize your authority and equate that with faith. Father, I pray for these young people that their houses would be built upon the rock. That they would be wise young people building it on your principles. For they will never prove you wrong. Your word will remain. And Father, I pray that each person here would be gracious to the Jews. Not having to agree with the decisions of the nation of Israel, but be gracious to the Jewish people. To speak kindly of them. To speak well of them. So that in that, they might receive a blessing in return. I pray your blessing on these young people. In the name of Jesus. Amen.